This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Locke Kelly. Locke is a meditation teacher, psychotherapist, author, and founder of the Open Hearted Awareness Institute. A graduate of Columbia University, Locke was awarded a fellowship to study forms of non-dual meditation in Sri Lanka and Nepal from 1981 to 1982. Locke also spent 10 years establishing homeless shelters, community lunch programs, and working in a community mental health clinic in Brooklyn. He also serves as coordinator of counseling at Union Theological Seminary and has worked extensively with families of 9-11 victims. Locke has been teaching seminars and practicing awareness psychotherapy in New York City for 25 years. He has also collaborated with neuroscientists at Yale, the University of Pennsylvania, and NYU to study awareness training's effects on enhancing compassion and well-being. With Sounds True, Locke Kelly has just released a new book and a companion audio series entitled Shift into Freedom, the Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Locke and I spoke about unhooking from thought and how to distinguish thinking from awareness. We also talked about the difference between deliberate mindfulness practices and effortless mindfulness practices, and Locke's sense that many, many people could be introduced to open-hearted awareness more quickly and directly through the effortless approach. Finally, Locke and I talked about the possibility of stabilizing in-awake awareness and beginning to live from what Locke Kelly calls a new operating system. Here's my conversation with Locke Kelly. Locke, your new book is packed with, I guess one could call it techniques for spiritual awakening. And one might even say that your book, Shift into Freedom, is an awakening curriculum. And I'm curious, right here to begin our conversation, do you really think that spiritual awakening can be taught through a type of curriculum, if you will? Yes, thank you so much, Tammy. It's great to talk to you, great to be here. And I would say that um, the book is, is a written attempt to kind of create a context or outline a view that uh, houses uh, some a series of pointers. I would call them more than techniques, because in some ways techniques to me has the feeling of somebody doing something to, 
to achieve some state. And in some ways, uh, these pointers uh, or small glimpses are really ways of untying knots or or un, uh, unhypnotizing ourselves from the techniques that we do consciously and unconsciously every day to kind of create a sense of being who we are. And so, you know, if awakening is returning to our natural condition, uh, which is already here uh, for each of us, then it is kind of, you know, an undoing and a returning home and a way of discovering and uncovering uh, a natural condition, which when it becomes primary, seems to maintain itself um, in, a, in a very natural way. So there is kind of an unlearning, uh, unlearning program, maybe. Okay, I, I can go with that, an unlearning <laughs> curriculum of pointers. What would, you, what would you say is, if you will, the core of this unlearning that you're pointing to? So I would say that um, the core of unlearning is um, a particular pattern of uh, a sense of self that I have kind of been curious about from early on in my own experience uh, in life um, and also in then reading different texts from spirituality and psychology from wisdom traditions around the world that are pointing to something about this uh, sense of there being a separate sense of self that is not other than our personality. It's not that we're getting rid of our ego personality, our ego body, or our ego um, functioning. We're actually... There's actually a small looping pattern of self-referencing thought that seems to start uh, early in childhood as an important function of what's called in psychology, interestingly, self-awareness, which means that thinking can become aware of thinking. And what seems to happen is that that self-awareness process creates a second sense of self within our bodies, and it kind of co-ops the programs of the body's boundary. And so it starts to feel as if there actually is a location of this thought-based identity that we can't even see because we're listening from it right now, and we're looking out of it, and it's become so familiar that it's... Um, it seems normal, but it actually is just like a body, as if it has a body. It's looking for satisfaction, and it's looking for safety, but it can't find any food or anything to satisfy it because it's not physical, and there's nothing that threatens it because it's not a physical thing that could be threatened. Okay, and what you're saying is that this looping pattern had a function early in our life, but that it yes. no longer has a function once we enter adulthood? 
Well, it, it kind of, so my, my sense is in trying to make sense of all this, I've kind of, you know, tried to find a way to make sense of it. And rather than saying it's a false self or it's bad, I see it almost as a developmental process and that now we have a potential to, you know, grow beyond into the next natural stage of development, which is um, based in awakening from this, but not only awakening from, but awakening to a an awareness-based way of knowing that's actually already uh, available. It just needs to be rewired so that we can function from it. So that's part of the the unlearning and then the retraining. Um, Talk some about the rewiring process. That's very interesting to me. I know that you draw a lot in your new book, Shift into Freedom, on science and neuroscience. And what do we know now about what's required for this type of rewiring to take place? Yeah, so so we know so much about, there's so much great research, uh, particularly about uh, some of the early stages of meditation, some of the uh, one-pointedness and deliberate mindfulness practices as a way of relieving stress. Um, And now there's some even more studies about resiliency, studies about compassion, um, and how the brain changes, and how that's part of the embodying process, that it's not an Awakening is not an escape from the world, but it is actually a way to inhabit um, our human life in a way that we can actually become more intimate and relational and creative. Uh, And to do that, um, some of our conditioning and some of our stronger, faster-moving patterns of instinct and um, thought um, begin to be, you know, rewired or just as we learn, just our brain has more plasticity than we, we believed was possible 20 years ago. Even brain t- scientists didn't believe the brain changed much after seven, and we know that is not so. And the brain is really our body. It's not like our body and our brain. Our brain is part of our body. Our body is part of our brain. And so this is kind of what's called um, embodying and stabilizing of kind of an awareness-based operating system that has some markers um, in neuroscience and some clear markers in psychology and emotional studies. And it's kind of the outgrowth of the initial shift um, into what is what I'm calling open-hearted awareness. Well, so I'm very interested in what these markers are. And also, I mean, you're talking about this idea of stabilizing in a new operating system. And, you know, I want to hear more about that because often I talk to people and they say, you know, I've had a glimpse of spiritual awakening. I've had an experience, but most people don't that I talk to aren't saying I feel stable in a new operating system. So I think it would be very important yes. to hear more about this. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I would say that that's my interest, and that's the the people that I spoke to early on, and yet would talk to teachers and would talk to people who seem to either intentionally or unintentionally have found uh, a shift. And anybody who had or would admit it, often certain traditions wouldn't, you know, won't admit it. They'll say. Oh, not me, you know, it, but my teacher, you know, certainly is awake, but me, I'm just a humble, you know, practitioner. But eventually I was able to find, you know, people who would talk about it and uh, discuss the kind of stages, not just of the initial awakening, but the, um, in uh, one system of Mahamudra, they talk about uh, initial recognition, which is that glimpse. And then the second stage is called realization, where you where you move from it being an experience to realizing that that's actually who you are, and everything else that's happening is the experience. So you it becomes your ground or fundamental nature, fundamental identity, and you feel that it's palpable and perceptible, and then that comes and goes, and you shift back and forth until that's more primary and that's starting to be stable. And then you start to express expression is the fourth stage and you start to meaning you express, you're able to walk and talk and, uh, your emotional life is, uh, experienced from there. So in some ways that, that second shift is really the key is from recognition, which is temporary meditation experiences or small glimpses, to realization and beginning of stabilization is, I believe, very possible and is what, uh, you know, my book is about, is trying to say this is not, this will not take any more time or effort than learning any other meditation practice, but it is starting at a point where many meditation practices um, kind of stop or or stay. Well, let's take this step by step here. So I like this four steps that you've offered. And to begin with, let's just cover the ground of recognition clearly for people. And tell me what you mean by that. So recognition is, is this recognition of I would say the absence and presence. So the absence of uh, a sense of ego-centered or uh, ego-identified point of view. So when you're actually have shifted out of the uh, way of perceiving that is actually looking out of your eyes probably right now, just because it is the usual way of organizing identity. So when you recognize that's when that drops away or you shift out of that, and then you can recognize a kind of a not knowing as a first step, but then the real beginning of full recognition or glimpse is you recognize that what is here is already aware that there's an intelligence or an awareness that's non-conceptually fully on like a light bulb, that you're not doing it, 
and that actually you're now looking from that or that's where you're located. So now you're not aware of that awareness as a, an object, but the awareness is now the subject to which everything else is appearing. So sometimes I say, it's not about what's appearing, it's about who or what you're experiencing, who or what is experiencing what's appearing. And it's that shift that you can actually feel fairly quickly. Um, and as soon as you learn, you have to learn it for yourself. Nobody else can, they can point it out, which is what this book and this audio series is about, is about uh, pointers which are like experiments. So I'm giving a hypothesis, set of experiments, and then saying, you try it out and you report the results, what's true, and then let's discuss. Okay, so the recognition of, we could say, awareness as already present and starting to experience yeah. from an awareness-centric way of being, or awareness is what's here and things are arising within awareness. Yeah. Okay, then the move from recognition to realization. Yeah, is kind of, a, so the question would be if somebody had recognized uh, that shift would be, are you aware of awareness or are you the awareness that's aware of thoughts, feelings, and sensations that you took to the you a minute ago. So, and people can do that right right now at home. If you just ask yourself that, I mean, usually I'll you know lead in with a couple of different pointers to to you know differentiate thought from awareness and have a sense of that movement, um, and then that would be the the kind of you know inquiry that people would have to do for themselves. So it's not telling people what to experience or it's not a real book about description. It's more about prescription, meaning pointers or experiments in truth, experiments toward what's your truth. Uh, what, do you, what do you notice when it's like this and when it's like that? And the relief is, is trying to, to point almost as quickly as possible to the actual goal that's already here so that people don't get caught in the middle stages of developing concentration or a meditative witness, um, but experiencing the ground of being and then reporting that this is the relief, this is the joy, this is the natural love, which is now, which now the conceptual mind is saying, I don't know if I like this so much, maybe we better get out of here. If you're experiencing that doubt or that fear from your ground of being, from awareness-based knowing, it seems like a cartoon character or you'll, even if you get a little fear that, uh, you know, shoots a little adrenaline into your body, you'll feel like the knowing from uh, awareness is clear about what is what? The intelligence knows, oh, that's that, that's thought. That's, that's a function of me, not me talking to me. 
So it seems like one of the really critical knowings here is how to distinguish thinking from awareness, that that's really kind of a basic building block that's required. And so if someone's listening and and they're not 100% sure they get that, how to make that distinction, how can you help them? Um, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of little pointers that would depend on the person or the setting up the context or the, uh, the, the time or the, um, we could do a little, a little, uh, a little pointer here. Yes. If you like. Yes. Does that sound good? Yeah, it does. (laughs) Oh, Okay. All right, I'm trying to, uh, let me just see if which one. There's, you know, there's about five or six in, you know, just toward that, which is early, early sense. So this one's called, this is kind of a fun one, so that's why I thought we'd do it. It's kind of use, using uh, uh, thought as an occupier, um, using one word or sometimes what's called a mantra, uh, but this is like an unsacred mantra. This is a a word that occupies thinking so that you can notice what awareness is. So I call this one mind the gap or mind comma the gap. So what, what you'll do is just simply, even as you're listening, you can kind of have to do it with me and um, you're going to repeat a word slowly in your mind. And when you repeat the word, the word is going to occupy conceptual thinking because it's made of thought. And then between the word, you'll notice space. And then eventually I'll point you to notice that space is aware. And one of the words that's kind of fun to use that you can begin to repeat in your mind is blah. So if you just say blah, and really be aware that's a thought, blah and then be aware of space. Blah. Space. Blah. Kind of floating through space. Blah. Space. Now notice the thought. Be aware of the thought. Be aware of the space. Be aware from the space of the thought. And notice that the thought can be there or not. And yet you're aware without needing to think about being aware. So that's helpful, Locke. And now I want to circle back to something you said, because you talked about how at a certain point a shift happens. And we're no longer moving from thinking to space, if you will. But yes, we're that's right. we're living in this 
you call it open-hearted awareness, which is a beautiful way to describe this sense of big space. We're living in this big space and thoughts are occurring within it. So how does that shift happen where our locus of identity, if you will, is in space versus we're journeying there through pointers like this? Yes. Well, just to say, um, again, it just as a pointer through the whole process is that kind of the first shift is from thought base to space, then aware from space, but then the the next two shifts are really more the more important one is that once you realize that awareness is aware by itself, then the next move is to be aware, you you become aware that that your body and energy is none other than awareness that awareness is is arising out so there's a a stepping out, a transcending, and then an incarnation, and including opening, aware from space, observing from space, then spacious awareness is already discovered to be inherent within your body. So you completely feel embodied from within, head to toe, heart-based. And then the next movement is that you realize the heart-mind is relational. The heart-mind is interconnected with others and the world, and there's a, there's a sense of being uh, not only awareness-based and embodied, but interconnected. And that's the, fourth, that's the fifth movement called open-hearted awareness is actually the relational, unconditional, loving-based awareness that can deal with emotions, thoughts, is conscious from awareness base of, um, you know, moving through, you know, day and any place you live. Okay, but I, I'm going to ask more questions about this yeah. quote-unquote stabilization, if you will. And that's sure. because I've met so many people who seem to have deep experiences, if you will, of yes. this spaciousness. But yes. certainly yes. when you get close to them and you start grilling or poking around or things get really stressful or something, you know, difficult happens, they don't seem very stabilized once right. you get up close. So help me understand yes. that. I mean, how many people are really living in this a stabilized state of open-hearted awareness? Well, I would say, you know, in terms of tipping, t the tipping point of, of moving toward realization and, you know, re in some ways stabili stabilizing is, you know, is a moment-to-moment -moment changeable. There's nothing, you know, stable, stable. Uh, it's, but the primacy of awareness, which is, you know, empty and is now recognizing itself as, uh, the aliveness and the appearance. And so that sense of that being the day-to-day -day, uh, operating system, really. And then you, you know, in the training of small glimpses many times, you kind of go back to getting caught in what I call system one, you know, conceptual thinking. And then you simply learn in this process to unhook, drop, open, 
the aware from space, the embodied presence, uh, and then open-hearted awareness. And in that, in that ability to return uh, and navigate fairly quickly um, your entire, you know, sense of uh, consciousness and then just let go into kind of beginner's mind. Um, you know, I mean, I'd say there's, there's many, many people like that, hundreds of people in that dance who have kind of crossed the line from being the meditator to being an embodied presence. Which is, which is really the key. I think what you said is a lot of people are, you know, have experiences of spaciousness. And that's kind of the transcendent. Um, and that, in some ways, is still a meditative experience. It's not quite a human experience. It's a transpersonal. But then it's really the, the you know, loose word we're using of stabilizing. It's just translation of a, of a word is, begins with... Um, you know, kind of in presence or what's called simultaneous mind, which is the ability to be both, you know, spacious, everywhere, nowhere, and very much here. And that's happening by itself. You're not doing that. You've kind of uncovered that. Um, and I, I think I think it's it's learnable and teachable and trainable, just as easy. If you know the people I've spent time teaching mindfulness. Two of the people I've spent time teaching this to, it takes, you know, it doesn't seem to be more of a difficult learning process, nor take more time. But it's, you know, worlds of difference. Well, yeah, so that's very, very interesting what you're saying. And for our listeners, yeah. will you define what you mean by mindfulness and how you're using that term and, yeah. and how it's different than the approach you're offering here, which, I mean, could this become as popular as mindfulness? Wouldn't that be amazing? But anyway, first, just... Yeah, that, that was, that's... What's the distinction? That's the idea. I mean, that, that I'm hoping and, and, and would be, I think it's the next, you know, could be the next wave because that's where mindfulness as a basic early practice or beginning practice is pointing to awakening in all the traditions, right? So... Um, I mean, one, my teacher who I met early on in Nepal, Toko Ergen Rinpoche, um, he talked about there's two kinds of mindfulness, deliberate mindfulness and effortless mindfulness. And so deliberate mindfulness is what we know. You intentionally are using attention, focusing from your moving mind, from your everyday mind, which is moving, trying to calm it and focus it by uh, using some one-pointed, Technique and there's other things that are like that chanting um, a mantra, other things that are one pointed, looking at a candle uh, in order to calm the everyday mind. And then you move into either subtle body or subtle mind. Subtle mind is the meditator mindfulness that is aware of internal contents of consciousness coming and going. So that creates a meditator. You're able to watch and realize you're not your thoughts. So you realize who you're not. Then the next move I'm talking about, effortless mindfulness, you have awareness look through, back through the meditator. So you practically pop the meditator, opening it up beyond that point of view to discover an awareness that's already 
aware that's not deliberately uh, through a doer aware, but you join with it or discover that it's always been your primary awareness. And that awareness is now aware in the same way as, um, you know, Vipassana observing awareness, but it's also observing from within your body. It's not observing from a detached witness. You're inhabited, aware, both inside and out, and there's a kind of surrendered quality, um, and you're connected to your heart-mind, which is non-conceptual basis of intelligence, rather than uh, a meditator, which is subtle, more subtle mind, or um, you know, you know, doing mindfulness from your everyday mind, like you know, eating food or something like that, which often is done from your moving mind. Can you help me understand more about the effortless part? That sounds very attractive yes. to me. How do I yes. approach this with effortlessness? So, in some ways, the effortless isn't the description of make no initial effort. It isn't describing you don't have to make an effort. You you, you do have to, you know, as I wrote, <laughs> you know, a book with a lot of little pointers and glimpses, there's, there's uh, sometimes the word anupaya is like a small, is not no effort, but it's a small initial effort of letting go, turning over, discovering what I call unhooking awareness from thought and having it move to your ear, be aware of sound at your ear, and then opening to discover the space all around which is already aware. So it's a surrender or a unhooking and a looking until you join or pass the baton of awareness to an awareness that is effortlessly aware already. So that's the effortless. There's something that's effortlessly aware already, and it's what people who operate in the flow state know very well. So this isn't, it isn't a meditative state that many of the practices, most of the practices that I do are open-eyed, and they're meant to immediately take you into what would be you know, a functional flow state um, and it's effort, effortlessly. You're not monitoring uh, or self-reflecting all the time on what you're about to do. There's like a trust and a natural intelligence. So we could say that one way to describe this new operating system that you're pointing to is a highly functional flow state? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's a good that's a good piece of the pie. And you know, I have a chapter that all that deals exactly with that that talks about adaptive unconscious and and Chicksett Mahai's flow state and and it, it's a good transition piece and it gives people, I think, a felt sense because many people do know what a flow state is um, and they know that you're not thought based and yet you're highly functional. You know, they often talk about people having, you know, have to do like 10,000 hours of training 
as a violinist or as a rock climber or as a, even knitting or other things to train the conceptual mind and the memory to be uh, on board and then they can enter a flow state or a basketball player or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, my, content, my contention is that we have done 10,000 hours of walking, talking, thinking, relating to others, and that there's no reason why shifting into this awareness-based knowing, embodied knowing, those things can't come online just like other people have trained in certain skills. And uh, that's what I've been finding. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, you mentioned a couple of times this idea of unhooking, and I think that yes. that's a very interesting pointer, if you will. And I wonder if you can take us through that. How do we unhook? What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, that is, that's one of the, the main interesting um, approaches that I've focused on and kind of emphasized. It's not the only way to do it, but I kind of divide the main roads to um, to awakening as kind of the resting methods and the looking methods. So the resting methods are most of the meditation methods of uh, just sitting, shikantaza, um, mindfulness. So you're sitting, resting, letting everything settle, calming the mind and letting awake awareness appear from the background. And then so I focus more on the looking method, which is unhooking of local awareness and turning it around. So in the the word recognition in Tibetan is translated by phrase, which means looking at your own face. So what is looking at your own face? Well, it's not your eyes. What it is is awareness that is already here, but it's inherent within you. So because awareness is both, in some ways, seems obscured in its pure form, but it's also inherent within everything, so it can kind of unhook from thinking and drop either first into your body or go to one of your senses and then open to return to uh even though it never left, return to the awareness or recognize the awareness that it is already part of. So the unhooking is actually a feeling that you get that you can't kind of describe. You can't say, well, here's how you do it. You almost have to say, okay, you ready? Just unhook awareness from thought and have it move to seeing. So we could do it right now. We could do a little 
Yes. Little, yes, let's do it. We'll practice. Yes. Okay. So we'll just we'll do a little play like this is a little play a play shop rather than a we won't go for the um you know the just to get the feel of what this is like. So awareness is the ground in the most subtle dimension of consciousness. I call it awake awareness, just to distinguish it from attention. Um, so awareness is identified or attached to thinking. And what if you just move? So as you're listening to me now, you're listening to my words and thinking about them. So just let awareness unhook from thinking and move to seeing. So just awareness and seeing. So just seeing, neither seer nor seeing, just seeing. And just as awareness can unhook from seeing, notice the big shift when awareness unhooks from seeing and moves to one of your ears, awareness of hearing. So you didn't change your eyes or your ears, but there's a huge shift in experience. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So that, all that is, is the movement of awareness. Now, if that awareness, which is just shifted from seeing to one small area at one of your ears, so it becomes aware as if it's knowing directly from that small area of vibration, sensation, at one of your ears, right? So it can focus in a small area. What is it like if that awareness that can focus opens to be interested in the space outside of your ear in which sound is coming and going. So let awareness open to boundless space, to the space in the room, and just be interested not just in what's moving, but and let that awareness mingle with space until it discovers that not only is it aware of space, but spacious awareness, that space is aware of itself. Or you could have awareness go open to one of the walls on the side and then do like a swimmer's turn and then be aware from awareness back to and through your body. So there's a spacious and pervasive sense of connection to that's happening within your body that's pervasive as well as spacious. And you can feel from head to toe that awareness is knowing your body and knowing equally inside and out of your internal experience and external which is awareness-based. So it's feeling, it's feeling your body from within, but it's not one of the senses. And it's knowing and feeling awareness outside. And once you balance the inside and outside, so there's not a going back and forth, one of the parts of your brain, the default mode network, actually unifies and it calms your daydreaming mind. Now, can you help me understand that? 
Yeah. What you mean by the, the okay, fall? The first, yeah, like, yeah. But so, so did you feel that? I mean, I, I kind of jumped to. Yeah, <laughs> to it's the, okay. To the, the the next point, but uh, did you have a sense of that? Yeah, I what did. That was that. Yeah. That feeling of what I call local awareness moves to spacious awareness. Spacious awareness is aware. Then spacious awareness moves to embodied awareness. Then embodied awareness is able to be open-hearted, know from your heart-mind. So when you're in, when awareness comes back into your body below your neck, uh, you can begin to know without going up to thought or looking down from thought. Do you have a sense of that? So if awareness opens and is, is the ground of awareness and it comes back or is already naturally pervasive and continuous. And then if you don't go up to look to thought or you don't look down from thought, what are you aware of? What's knowing quality? What do you know? What's knowing like? Yeah, that to me is taking us to a sense of being. So we're yes. the process yeah. unhooked from thought, and then eventually right. we got to this place of resting and being. Resting and being. And the being is has a kind of knowing. Did you notice that? Yeah. A non-conceptual knowing. And it's embodied. Yeah? Yeah. You feel, you feel your body from within. Yeah. And feel some kind of, you may feel some kind of connection to people or things in the room or the environment, like a boundlessness a little bit, interconnectedness. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, this is the ground. This is the shift in those few minutes. Uh, now the work becomes the word in Tibetan for meditation is familiarizing. So familiarize with this. Don't go up to thought. Don't go down to sleep. Just like you're, almost like you have a a little balloon, a balloon in water where your heart, your heart, the door of your heart is. Just kind of stay there, just like nice heart desire. To stay, but stay means let everything go. And then you're getting to know, being is getting to know itself as itself and as it's interconnected. So the longer you remain and inquire and are curious, which is the quality of intelligence of heart-mind, open-hearted awareness, a little love, a little bliss. Do you feel that? I'm with you, Locke. <laughs> huh? Right? That's, this is the marinade. That's what I call I don't call it meditating. I call it marinating. So we're marinating. Our, this is the rewiring begins with marinating. So you're marinating, familiarizing, 
abiding. Don't go up. Don't don't be too strong, but don't be too passive. That's the other thing. I think a lot of people here get a little when you get to being, because being you don't have to do anything to be. Doesn't mean being can't be curious and just that little self-knowing and knowing and 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 like exploring and right you feel that kind of little interest mm-hmm. heart's desire to stay but not too you know not too strong not too sleepy not too so that you know and then this this becomes the 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 you know the the realization is this an experience happening to you or is this you you have you discovered you meaning the ground of being to which now thoughts feelings and emotions are welcome Okay, so now that you said thoughts, feelings, and emotions are welcome, I'm going to welcome the thought of, what did you mean by <laughs> this is going to help me deal with the default network? Yeah, so, so I mean, I hate to go there because we were just in such, you know, luscious territory there. Uh, and I hope people who are listening are, you know, won't, won't get too, too serious. But it's just... It, it, you can go. You can read about it in the book. It's meant for. It's meant for a book. But it basically the default mode network is a natural unconscious rhythm that alternates going outside and going inside. It looks out. It looks in. It looks out. It looks in. So when you try to meditate and your mind wanders, that's the default mode taking you out into daydream. Uh, the study they did at Harvard, where they gave two thousand students a beeper and asked them. Are you on task or mind wandering? And if you're mind wandering, are you happy or unhappy? Uh, you know, 50% of the time they were mind wandering, even though they were trying to be on task, and 90% of the time they were unhappy when they were in the default mode, which is what. And, and the default mode is that alternating rhythm of the brain when you're aware. What I found is when you're aware both inside and outside, from awake awareness, from embodied awake awareness, your default mode gets balanced. So now you're able to both think without getting caught in thought. You're able to relate. You're able to you feel this kind of simplicity and interconnectivity and kind of lusciousness and uh, buoyancy like ocean and waves kind of feeling. You feel like there's an ocean of being and you're a wave, so you're a particular person, you have a sense of humor, you're, you're able to relate, you can communicate, you can, but you're not getting caught in this um, distraction. You can effortlessly concentrate from here, from when you're, when you're balanced, you can focus on something. I don't know if you notice that right now, if you're, you just look at something and you don't have to intentionally use, you don't have to use attention. You're actually using local awareness to focus. And then you could change focus to somewhere else. And that, so that's all that's to say that it's functional. Yeah, I, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by local awareness compared to yeah. awake awareness or spacious awareness. I mean, these are a lot of different kinds yeah. of awareness. 
Yeah, there's four. I kind of distinguish four and or five, I guess. Yeah, ultimately. And can you briefly tell me what these different types of awareness? Yeah. So, are? so yeah. local, local, yeah, local awareness is the unique one, and it comes from you know a lot of the Mahamudra, Dzogchen, even Taoist um, secret of the golden flower where they talk about turn the light of awareness around. Uh, you know, Mahamudra texts say, you know, turn the mind toward the mind. The mind, you know, is translated awareness, mind. Um, you know, let your, you know, uh, you know, turn awareness around. The recognition is, you know, looking at your own face. So what is that that can turn around and know it can only be itself? So that's what I started to play with. I started saying, well, what is that that turns around? So actually what I did is I discovered while I was in more of a resting method sense of recognizing this embodied uh, awake awareness, I started playing, okay, so now let me lose it and let me find it. And what's moving, what's reforming, and then how can I intentionally return? And what I found was it was like a, you know, like a wave of awareness that has intentionality, like that local awareness is able to unhook from thought and return to itself as spacious awake awareness, which is timeless, boundless. So spacious awake awareness is the ground is spacious, infinite, timeless, boundless, contentless, thought-free, but then spacious awareness becomes embodied awareness or or presence, and then becomes open-hearted awareness, which is relational and has a heart-mind as intentional. So the, the, that which can move and unhook and starts this uh, inquiry, awareness inquiry, or this awareness pointing within process is this feeling of what moved from your, from being identified with thinking, moved to seeing, it moved to hearing, and it moved to space. So that that's did you get a sense of that? Yeah. What what moved? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you're using local awareness to bring us, if you will, to spacious yes. awareness. Yes, it's like the tuner or the vehicle or the because it's inherent already within. It's already there. So it's kind of a paradoxical. Uh, dance of moving, but it can it can detach, and it's the only quality that can actually recognize or know awake awareness. So we try to use attention or even mindful attention or mindful awareness. So the meditator they can't know awareness. You can't remain as the meditator and know awareness. You can't use your attention, which is attention is, you know, bring your attention to your hand. I'm losing my attention now, bring my attention back. That is another function. That's a function of the small mind, of the everyday mind. So you have to discover awareness that can know awareness, and either you do it by resting or by using this local awareness um, dimension of itself. 
And once once you get a feel for it, it's fairly easy, and it, it's what map is it makes this whole thing learnable and easy to navigate your your entire consciousness. Once you learn to get a feel for it, you can navigate, and you can do these small glimpses. Okay, one aspect of what you've been describing that hasn't fully landed for me, I don't fully understand okay. it, has to do with the open-hearted part and the connection yes. to the heart energy yes. and a relational awareness. I'm not quite sure yes. how that just unfolds naturally from what you've been describing through these pointers. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of... of uh, of, of pointers that would go, you know, to that. One of them I call the ult- ultimate Tonglen practice, where you, where you actually practice the support of awareness within you and behind that the other person. Um, it what it is is that from the heart mind, you know, right where we were when we dropped, we opened, we came back, and you said, you know, we're in being. So you remain in being the heart-mind comes online, it starts to be curious and creative and relating, and you start to see from your heart. And the heart, when I say heart, sometimes I talk about five hearts, although I didn't write this in the book. Uh, Like the emotional heart would be on top, the physical heart would be on the left, on the right would be sometimes what I call the safe place of the heart or the cave of the heart, and then the heart chakra would be on the bottom, and touching all of those is like a door or a portal, a heart space, which actually opens up behind your back to awareness and opens up in front of you experientially to um, connect with others. And it's kind of the locale of uh, the, the, the sense of heart-mind, which, you know, is just... Um, perceives in a way that you're not separate. The the seeing is from there is you're not separate from other people. You see both the ignorance in yourself and the awakeness in yourself. You see the ignorance in others and the awakeness in others. And that begins a whole different way of relating. And listening, your patience, your sense of you don't need to try to be more accepting the natural condition of open-hearted awareness is it already accepts what is, and yet it can, you know, set a boundary if it needs to say no, because it's not afraid to do that either. So there's there's a discriminating intelligence, discriminating wisdom. And that's the next move. And that's So people, many people haven't come into the body, into that, what you were describing as the grounded being or remaining being then abiding there. And this is this this is required, the stabilization requires the flow state, the functioning from there, from the heart mind, and then the relational and the dealing with emotional and often what I call emotions, conditioning, liberation of, you know, um, karmic tendencies or um, dealing with internal parts or subpersonalities that try to sit in the seat of the self and get you to come back up top and live from your old parts. So that's kind of the the last stage of this 
uh, and that's what makes it, you know, fully human. Now, Locke, I could talk to you for a lot longer, and I hope we get <laughs> many opportunities to do so. But yes. I want to end at least this installment in our conversation okay. by just having you make something explicit, which I think has been implicit, which is a vision that it seems that you have that people could become familiar with these pointers, this yes. unlearning curriculum, and that we might mm -hmm. see lots and lots and lots of people becoming spiritually awake and even stabilized in an accelerated yeah. way by doing so. And so I'm curious yeah. to know, what is this vision that you hold? I mean, I think that's, that's the vision is, and that's my, been my work for the last 20 years, about how, <clears throat> how to simplify it, how to live it for myself, how to discuss with others, who seem to be in the same, have the same interests, what's this, what's that, how did you do this, what do you, what do you make of this, and then internally playing with uh, the contents of consciousness and this awareness. And the sense is that, um, you know, that as my, you know, the first teacher, not the first teacher, first teacher was a, a guy, Dr. Chan, in New York, who... But Telco Ergen basically said that when I was eight years old, this was pointed out to me, and it's no different than it it was, you know, then, now. And he gave this out freely, and many others have as well. And it's the simplest teaching. The advanced teachings are the simplest. And yet what I've kind of done is looked at, okay, now what about, not just the initial pointing and being passive or resting and trusting it will unfold, but now starting to uh, familiarize and embody and intentionally live a life. You know, I'm living in New York City as a therapist who worked with people, you know, went down there, at, you know, the day after 9-11 and, you know, right in the middle of all this. So I said, I've got, you know, and that's one of the reasons I'm here is let's, see if it can be done in the middle of all this with, you know, being married and being having friends and working and, um, and there's no doubt that it can. I have no doubt. And, um, you know, how to organize that is the next, is probably the next, you know, thought about how to, you know, I just thought actually this week, maybe I'll try to find a hundred people who want to go through a year or two year program and we'll just practice together. Some can be, we can have retreats, and we'll just test it out. And people will report the results. Is it true or not true? Uh, because I feel like I've, I've, I've tested it and I've gotten feedback from students enough that that's why I wrote the book now. I waited till it was kind of cooked. Um, and I feel like it's, it's very possible. I've been speaking with Locke Kelly, with Sounds True, he's published an exciting and important and extremely thorough new book. It's filled with dozens and dozens of what Locke Kelly has called in this conversation pointers. It's really an incredible book. Shift into Freedom, the Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. It's a new book and a companion audio series. 
Locke, thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you for your years of effortless, shall I say, good work. <laughs> thank you so much, Tammy. It's a real pleasure. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.